Okay, good morning. It's good to be here this morning. You got your Bibles? Um, can turn to Psalm 57. We're going to start there. We'll be looking at several different passages. Some I won't have you turn to. Just no sense wearing your Bibles out. Just turning pages. <clears throat> last week we, uh, or last few weeks, you know, we've been talking about the the Word of God, and we talked about how the the Holy Spirit illuminates it for us. We talked about inspiration and. Um, the infallibility of Scripture and errancy of Scripture. Uh, last week we talked about some symbolic terms that Scripture uses to describe itself, just very common words, which I think is good because there's a lot of complex information in the in the Scriptures, and it's good that the Lord you chose. Uh, not only did He choose to uh, to communicate His Word to us in, in in language so we could read it, but He chose to use words that we could understand. Because I don't know about you guys, but I've heard I've heard words used from pulpits, and, and you sit there thinking, and even if I know what the word means, I'm like, why did you choose that word? Why did you use something that everybody in the room might understand? You know, and so he, he, the the scriptures use words like a mirror. So as we look into the Word of God, it, it's like a mirror, and we can see it reflects back who we are, and who we should be, and and that's good for us. And it, it said that it referred to the uh, scripture refers to itself as seed. And that's, that's a good, common term. As the gospel is sown into our hearts, then life spreads, uh, sprouts up. And eventually we'll, we'll uh, bear fruit. And it's referred to itself as water, which is good because water is used for cleansing. And the Word of God does clean us. It, 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 helps, it shows us what's wrong in our lives so that we can clean it up. But water also provides <clears throat> a means to uh, quench thirst refreshes uh, when times are bad when when it, it, things get a little steamy sometimes you want you want some refreshment don't you it refers to itself as a lamp so it, it illuminates uh, our steps it shows us where we ought to be going and that's a that's a good uh, term to use it refers to itself as a sword that cuts away for for a lost sinner who has all of these reasons why they don't need to be saved why I'm good enough and, and I'll be okay and all that, the, the Word of God is very sharp and it starts to cut away those excuses and say, and point out, no, you're not good enough, you're not okay, you need to be saved. And even in the life of a Christian, it cuts away the things in our lives that ought not be there. Because even, you know, the Lord saves us, but we still sin, don't we? That's a, that's a, uh, a sin nature, is something we're, we're stuck with in this life, at least, until we get our glorified bodies. And so the Word of God cuts away the things that, that shouldn't be there. And it referred to itself as, a, as precious metals, gold and silver, because the Word of God is very precious to us, isn't it? We know that. And it refers to itself as a hammer, a hammer that can be used to tear down things that ought not be there in our lives, tear down defenses, tear down the sin that's in our lives. But a hammer is also a, an instrument to use to build up things that you do want. And I've used it both ways. Maybe Kevin uh, Lawrence, you probably have both. Both of you probably have too. You tear down an old shed that's an eyesore. And then you build something back that looks a lot better, you know, more useful. And then it referred to itself as a fire, a, fire, a consuming fire. It, it burns uh, the things in our lives as, as the Holy Spirit uses the sword of the Word of God to, to cut away things that ought not be there. God's Word is also a fire to burn those things up and get them away from us so that, that we're not continued to uh, be bothered with them. It's also, a, by fire, it purifies us, just like you would purify uh, silver and burn off all the, all the old metals or the old uh, the dross. <clears throat> so that's what we looked at last week, this, those symbolic terms. 
Well, today I want us to look at some different symbolic terms because the scripture, it, it illustrates uh, some different environments that we find ourselves in. And I would like us to take a look at those. Uh, sometimes the, the, the environment that scripture tells us that as Christians that we're in, it uses earthly examples sometimes, um, examples of animals or or different plants, that sort of thing. Sometimes it uses heavenly examples of an environment that may involve uh, angelic beings or the Lord himself. But it's it says that at certain points in, in Scripture, you see that you're in a different environment than you were maybe yesterday or a year or so ago. And we know that in our lives when... When you're a little child, your environment is very protected, isn't it? You've, you've got a mom and a dad that are there that are going to make sure nothing happens to you. And when you get a little bit older, your environment changes. They're not quite as protective. You get on that bicycle without the training wheels and you're riding down a sidewalk, or in my case, a, a gravel road or driveway, you don't have that protection. And when if you stop without putting your feet down, you're going to end up with skin, knees, and that sort of thing. It's a, a little more painful environment, isn't it? And when you go to school and you get older, maybe when you get a driver's license, that your environment got a lot more dangerous, didn't it? It's, it's, it's still the environment that you're in. You're still the same person, but your environment is different. Well, that's kind of the idea that Scripture uses different environments to tell us that as we go through our Christian life, we'll find ourselves in different places. And it uses some very common terms, again, just like the Scripture did when it referred to itself. And so that... Um, why does the Lord do that? Because familiar object lessons help us understand complex things a little bit better. And the Lord, He didn't give us the Word of God so that we could look at it and say, what? What does that mean? He gave it to us so we'd understand what He was trying to say. Now, some versions of the Scripture are a little more complicated to read now than, than others are. And uh, I've, I've heard it said, um, I heard one, I had a friend he used to say that, uh, well, the, the, the King James Version of the Bible, you know, it's written on a sixth grade reading level. Now, it really isn't. Not now. Uh, there was a time when sixth graders could read it and understand it really well. Nowadays, it's written more on an 11th or 12th grade reading level. And, and some uh, versions of Scripture are written more like on a fourth grade or a fifth grade level. And you read those and you think, why do they dumb it down quite that much? You don't need to dumb it down to that level, you know. But God does use common terms. And so we'll be looking at some of those. And uh, what we need to remember as we look through all of these is no matter how much our situation changes or our environment changes, our God doesn't change. He's still the same. And He's still the one who's committed Himself to look after us. And so as we look at these different environments, keep that in mind. So then uh, we'll start looking at several of them in a list here that we'll look at. But before we do that, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank you for giving us a desire to be in your house. And as we look into your word, Father, our desire is that you teach us from it. We pray that, uh, Lord, we're looking at common situations, common terms that you've chosen. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the language of Scripture. And, and Lord, as we look at it, we're reading in uh, the King James Version of the Bible. It's a very uh, poetic version of the Scripture. It's very beautiful in, in its writings. But we thank you that the terminology that you chose to use, we know this isn't the inspired uh, version. This is a translation that was made several hundred years ago of the, the ancient text, but it, is, it has been put in writing in a way that English-speaking people can understand it and we can, we can learn from it. And we pray this morning as we look into it that the Holy Spirit would be present, that he would teach us the things we need to see here. 
in these. And Father, as we look at these different environments that we may find ourselves in, we do pray that you'd help us to remember wherever we are, whatever situation we're going through, our God has not changed. You are still on your throne. You are still the one who has obligated yourself to meet our needs. And we thank you so much for uh, how you've shown us that in, in days past. And we look forward to what you'll do in our lives as we as we move forward. So bless this time now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Psalm 57. And the first environment that we're going to look at here is an environment of being among lions. Verse 1, uh, this is uh, David uh, writing here in this psalm. And he's writing at a time when the when King Saul was chasing him down. He was hunting him. He wanted to kill him. And so uh, uh, keep that in mind as we read this. Verse 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. It doesn't sound like a very pleasant place to be, does it? You remember the, the story, David, um, he had killed Goliath as a young man. And Saul, that, that put him on Saul's radar. Saul was the king at that time. He didn't have anyone in his, in his army who was willing to go against Goliath. And David said, why are we tolerating this uncircumcised Philistine? Here he is, he's, he's cursing our God and we're sitting here doing nothing? Let me at it. And so Saul, you know, he told him, he said, well, take my armor. If you're going to go fight him, take my armor. And he said, I can't use your armor. I, I haven't proven it. I, I can't do that. We know that story well, don't we? And he reached down and he picked up five round. <laughs> there's, a, there's an old tape that Brother Frank gave me years ago. And he was a comedian. And he, had, he told the story of little David. And he talked about he... Um, he went down and uh, he picked up five round smooth slick river rocks and he went after it with his sling. You know? And I, Robin laughs every time I get, I get if we talk about David at all she just she loses it about this. But anyway, we know he went after Goliath and he took one stone. And after that you know, people sang David's praises. Oh look David, look he killed Goliath. Well Saul began to get a little jealous about that. And David went, from all indications David went back to his flock after that, and Saul would call him every now and then because he found out that he was he was he was talented playing music, and occasionally Saul would get in a really bad mood and he would send for David to come and play him some music. And just you know, we we have we do that now. I, I, on a bad day, I'll sit down and I'll call up YouTube and I'll just listen to some music because I can choose what I listen to. If I turn the radio on, I got very little choice, and. So we still do that today, but Saul would do that, and David would come, and when David got older, he joined Saul's army, and he would go out, and Saul would send him somewhere, and he'd say, yes, sir. David, I want you to take this many men, and I want you to go over here, and I want you to fight this group, and here's what I want the, the outcome to be. David would come back, and he said, we did it, sire. We did it for you. And that's all he ever did. He all, all he ever did was try to serve his king. And yet people would sing his praises and Saul got very jealous. So at that, by the time we've gotten to here, Saul's trying to hunt him down. He wants to kill him because he's so jealous of it. And David says in verse 4, My soul is among lions. These people are after me. He said, 
Uh, I lie even among them that are set on fire. These people are, they're out to get me. They, 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 even the sons of men whose teeth are like spears and arrows, their tongues a sharp sword. I'm among lions here. Well, I'm going to tell you, unless you're a professional lion tamer, that's not a happy thought, is it? To be among lions. But David said, that's where I feel like I am. He's, he says, I've got, I've got a lot of these enemies, and he's comparing them to the king of beasts. And he said, they're all around me. I can't get away from them. Uh, they, every time I sneak off someplace and I find a cave to hide in, they seem to find me anyway. And so he's, he's very scared at, at this point, and yet not so scared that he doesn't trust the Lord anymore. He says, I can't fight these guys. I can't, I can't defeat all of them. I'm, I may be good, but I'm not that good. But he says, God can help me. So he, he, um, I'm guessing that every one of us at, at some point in time, we've had things stack up against us to where we could almost say like David, you know, it seems like a, I'm in a lion's den. Everywhere I look, things are going wrong. And that's a very uncomfortable place to be. But I want you to look at verses 5 and 6 of the same chapter, Psalm 57. After, saying, after David saying, I'm, I'm surrounded by this, I'm in a lion's den, then he says in verse 5, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. Again, that term selah, we, we've heard many times before. It seems to be a, a term meaning just pause. Stop and think about that. Think about what you just read or what has just been said. He says, you know, I may be in a, lion, in a den of lions, but I serve a God who is able when they dig a pit for me to have them fall in that pit themselves. You ever seen that happen? You ever see when, when it seems like someone is against you or maybe someone is against a ministry and then suddenly the Lord's taking care of it. If they were trying to set a trap, they fell in a trap all in, all of their own making. God is able to do that for us. And that's what I said. Regardless of what environment we're in, our God hasn't changed. He's still our God. And so He's still able to give, even deliver us from among lions. Another environment that Scripture talks about us being in, you don't have to turn here, is in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, first couple of verses, we read like this. This is, uh, essentially, this is Christ Himself talking. He says, I'm the Rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. He's describing the Lord Jesus. Solomon's the writer here, but he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So he goes from talking about the Lord Jesus to he's talking about us. We're we're his love. We're the one uh, among the daughters or among the children of God. And he says, he he, um, describes Christ as the lily of the valleys, the exalted one. The lily among thorns all the other lilies that you would look to. But then he describes uh, Christians as being lilies among thorns. We're not exalted, are we? We're, we're in, a, in, a, in a painful, thorny place sometimes, don't, aren't we? And so, uh, But notice that we have a likeness to Christ because we're described as lilies just like He is. And isn't that what the Lord wants for us when He saves us? He says, I want you to be conformed to the image of My Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to all be like Him. And so as in different parts and different stages of our lives as Christians, we start to look more and more like Jesus. We hopefully th- that we're in act like Him. That's our hope anyway, isn't it? But he says that um, the difference at this point is between Christians and Christ is He's the one who is exalted. He's the lily of the valleys. We're the ones who are humbled because we're the ones who are 
lilies among thorns. Now, what 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 do you think of when you think of a plant? Maybe a, a pretty flower, or a rose bush, or or whatever it might be. And then there's thorns all around it. What do those thorns do? They choke out the life of that that plant, don't they? And we can find ourselves as Christians in an environment like this, among thorns, where there are things around us that are they just literally choke the life out of us, or seem to. What else do we know about thorns? If you reach in to try and protect that plant that those thorns are uh, choking out, what happens? You draw back a bloody stump, don't you, from where the thorns get you. So we can find ourselves in among these thorns that are choking life out of us that will actually potentially harm someone who tries to help us. You ever been in that, in that situation? Or have you ever been someone who tried to help someone? It looked like they were being uh, choked out by thorns, and you try to help them, and you, you get stung in the process a little bit, don't you? Or punctured by a thorn. They can injure people who try to help. But I want you to see what else here in, in verse 2. He says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters, is what he says. We're described as Christ's love among the daughters. We might be in an environment where there are thorns around us trying to choke us out, but God hasn't forgotten us. Our Savior hasn't forgotten us. We're still His love, and so He has no, no trouble delivering us. We might have trouble helping someone else when there's a thorn, around, a thorn around them, or thorns around them, but our Lord doesn't have any trouble reaching in and helping us. And so, again, we remember, no matter what environment we're in, our God is still our God, and He can still deliver us whether it's among thorns or among lions. A third one, the environment that Scripture talks about us being in is in Ezekiel chapter 2. Uh, you can turn it if you want. You don't have to. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. It says, And they, this is uh, the Lord talking to Ezekiel when He called him to go to the, uh, the Israelites and take a message to them. And He said this, He said, And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to take a message to these people, and whether they listen to you or not, they may ignore you, but they will know that a prophet of the Lord has been among them. And he says, And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee. There's that, that reference to thorns again. He says, Ezekiel, you might see some thorns. He says, Um, Neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. So a third environment that Christians can find themselves in is as though they were among scorpions. That doesn't sound real pleasant either, does it? You're going to be in the alliance, you're going to be around scorpions. Sometimes God does put us in a place that isn't comfortable for us, doesn't he? I don't remember any verse of Scripture that says, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and all your problems will dissolve. That all your days will just, you just have this rosy outlook every day of your life. He doesn't say that, does he? But he does say, and Scripture does tell us, there's nothing like being a, a child of God. Because once we are saved, we are in his family and nothing can take us away from him. That's the good news. Yeah, there might be a scorpion a long way. Uh, and we know that life among scorpions would not be that comfortable. We don't have that problem here, but I have had friends who said they lived in places uh, that were plagued with scorpions. Uh, friends who would say, 
you don't just pick up your boot in the morning and put it on. You dump the scorpions out of it. That might be in there before you put your boot on. That, that creeps me out. It really does. But even though we might find ourselves in an environment like that, the Lord still has work for us to do. And He says, I want you to do the work. Like He told Ezekiel, that some of these people aren't going to listen to you, Ezekiel. Some of them are going to, they're going to treat you despitefully. And um, it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be as though you were among scorpions. But he, st- he says, I still have a job for you to do. And I'll take care of the scorpions. Isn't that the good news? The Lord says, I'll take care of the scorpions. Don't you have to worry about that. You just do what I sent you to do. And I put a note here. When we're in an environment like that, whether it's among the lions or the thorns or the scorpions, whatever it might be, we can try to defend ourselves. We can and if we insist on doing that, sometimes the Lord will back away and He'll say, okay, I'll let you try. I'll let you try to defend yourself. But it doesn't really end all that well for us when we do that, does it? We need to rely on Him because He will deliver us. So, we've got three environments so far. Among lions, among thorns, among scorpions. It just keeps getting better. The fourth one, in Luke chapter 10, we read about people being among wolves. Christians, among wolves. Luke chapter 10 the, the, uh, the setting here is uh, Jesus had, had reached a point where he was, he was going around, he was preaching in different cities, and he, at, he reached a point where he appointed some people to go in front of him, to go ahead of him, as ambassadors or missionary evangelists maybe. He appointed pairs uh, of people and sent them two by two. I want you to go into every city that I'm planning to go to. I want you to go and tell them that I'm on my way and tell them that I'm coming with the news of the kingdom. Okay, so that's where we are in Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also. This is seventy people in addition to the twelve apostles, is what we're being told here. So he appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. He's telling these, these 70 people, he said, I'm going to break you up. He broke them up into two pa- or 35 pairs of two each. And he said, I want you to go. He had a busy schedule ahead of him. If he's sending them into every city and village, and there's at least 35 cities and villages now that he's sending people into, right? And so he, he sends them, he says, there's work to be done but it's not necessarily going to be easy. Well, the work that the Lord gives evangelists never has been easy, has it? And it never will be. It's not, that's not the intent. Uh, because we're going into Satan's areas, and he defends them very heavily. And so he says, I'm going to, I've got this work for you to do. It's not going to be easy. And then he says, you're going to be like lambs going into a pack of wolves. Now, have you ever heard a better pep talk than that? Here, guys... We're going to get here, we're going to go out here, it'd be like a football coach saying, we're going to go against this group, and we're going to get slaughtered. And they're going to, they're going to pounce on you, you're going to be black and blue tomorrow, but go out there and do your best. It's almost something like that, isn't it? He says, you're going to be like lambs, I'm sending you out with good news. I'm sending you out with the best possible news, that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, is coming. He's coming to your town. He's going to come with the message of the kingdom. And I want you to take that message to him. And then he says, but pretty much the best you can expect is that you're going to be like innocent lambs going into a pack of wolves. And they're not going to like it. 
and some of them are gonna they're gonna lash out at you they're gonna mistreat you but go anyway not much of a pep talk is it but I want you to know that if we read further in Luke's gospel we see that those 70 people came back they were intact they were not taught there's no indication that they had any scars when they came back the Lord had kept them safe and sound and if you read the account when they came back they told about all the miracles that had taken place and all of the the great things that they had seen because they went in his power and he took care of them. He said, yeah, you'll be like lambs among the wolves. They might not like the fact you're there. Satan may not like the fact that you're carrying the word of God into his territory, but that's okay because you're going on my authority. And so we protect him and he always will protect us. Uh, even when we take the word of God into Satan's territory, it, it, it still is a lot like we're as lambs going among wolves, but our God is still our God, and he will still protect us, even among the wolves. So fifth um, situation that we find ourselves in, I'm going to turn over there, Matthew chapter 13. This is familiar to us probably. We find ourselves... Uh, as wheat among tares. That's, that's another environment that we find ourselves in. Matthew 13. I'll start reading in verse uh, 24. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, uh, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which, is, which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and, bow, and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Tares are weeds. Uh, so an enemy has come in and he, sared, he sowed weed seeds among this man's wheat. Verse 27, So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together till the harvest, and in the time of harvest I'll say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The wheat represents Christians, that, that we've been planted in God's field. God has planted us good seed, and we're growing in the field. The tares, or the weeds, they were sown in that same field by an enemy of God. Who would that enemy be? That would be the devil, wouldn't it? So as we're growing in God's field, these weeds are growing a lot, uh, growing alongside us. Tares look a lot like wheat. I remember when I was a kid, we used to grow uh, corn on the farm, and we had um, we had a bad problem with something called Johnson grass. I don't know if you ever dealt with that stuff. It, I've seen, I've pulled up Johnson grass plants, and the roots of them look like uh, carrots. They were so big. But that, that Johnson grass, when it first starts popping up beside a little stalk of corn, it looks a lot like a corn plant. And when I was younger, I couldn't tell the difference between them really good. Now, once they grow a little, a little taller, you can obviously tell the difference. But when they're just, just popping up, it's hard to tell the difference. Well, it's a lot like this with these tares. Um, and uh, they, they become, as they grow together, the roots can actually intertwine. So if you go to pull up the wheat, you might pull up a good corn plant or a good wheat plant in this case as if you're pulling up tares. And so the uh, owner of the farm, he allowed them to grow together until the time of harvest. And that's God saying, I'm going to let them grow together until the time of judgment. And then we'll, we'll, tell them, we'll be able to tell them apart then. It's uh, one thing we have to remember, this isn't just in, in society. 
This can be in, in a ministry, in a church. You can have people who are not Christians who they'll come in and, and they may carry a Bible that looks just like the one you carry. They may dress the same way you do. They may talk the same way you do, but they're not Christians. They're, they're lost people, and they can, they can put a drain on a ministry. And the thing is, God says you can't go start weeding them out because you may not know who they are. We don't know someone's heart, do we? And so well, the only thing we can do is pray that the Lord of the harvest will take care of that, that situation for us, can't we? Because the Lord knows the difference between tares and wheat. He keeps a very accurate accounting of who sits in, in any pew in any church or who is uh, in any um, position in the workplace or in our communities. He knows exactly whose are his, who, which is the wheat and which are the tares. And what we see in this passage, his barn is waiting for his genuine wheat. But it's a sobering thought that the fire is what's waiting for the tares. And that, that is a, that's a very sad thing, isn't it? We need to think about that. Give that some thought that the, uh, the tares will be taken care of at a later date. But we find ourselves as, tares, as, as wheat among tares sometimes. Again, it's not all that flattering of an environment to be in, is it? It's not all that pleasant of one. Well, it gets better because there's other environments. A couple more that we'll talk about here. One of them is in 2 Kings, if you want to turn there, 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. Second okay. Kings 6, 8, we read this. Then the king of uh, Syria warred against Israel. And took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God, this man of God is Elisha the prophet, the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. So the king of Syria is warring against the king of Israel, and he says, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to set an ambush. Well, Elisha sent to the king of Israel and said, uh, the king of Syria is over there. It's an ambush. Don't go there. You can find yourself in trouble. So he didn't quite believe him. So he sent some spies over there. And he said, sure enough, that's where they are. And it says that happened multiple times that Elisha would send and warn him. So look at uh, verse 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. He didn't understand why he kept setting, uh, setting up these ambushes. And the king of Israel always seemed to know where he was. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, which one of you is a spy? Well, somebody's got to be telling him where we are. And one of his servants said in verse 12, Not my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. He said, King, we're not spies. But somehow Elisha knows everything you think, everything you say, and he's reporting it to the king of Israel. Verse 13, he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. So they surrounded the city of Dothan, there where uh, Elisha was. Verse 15, and When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? So here, he's, he's found himself in a situation, we might say an environment, where he's surrounded by an enemy army. But look at verse 16, and he said, Fear not, 
This is Elisha speaking, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So at the one hand, we could say they found themselves in a situation where they were surrounded by an enemy army. But Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see what's really going on. And on the outside of where the army was, there was a host of God's army, a host of chariots of fire, horses of fire that surrounded them. So in one environment that we find ourselves in is among the heavenly host, being surrounded by it when the problems come. They were surrounded by the enemies of the, of the king of Israel. Why were they surrounded? Because they were doing what God had told them to do. Elisha was prophesying. He was sending a message to the king of Israel, the same message the Lord had told him to send. And humanly speaking, when they get up in the morning and Elisha's servant looks out there and he sees the, enemy, the, the army of Syria surrounding them, there wasn't much hope, was it? Here's a prophet and a servant and they're surrounded by an enemy army and he's like, I don't have much hope here. We're no match for a Syrian army. We're surrounded. But Elisha knew the Lord was their protection. And he said, Lord, he just prayed, Lord, let, let him see what's really out there. And he saw this army, that the host of God surrounding him. And he realized at that point, we're protected, we're safe. You know, sometimes uh, enemies will surround us when we're doing God's will. When we're trying to do what the Lord wants us to do, we find ourselves among lions or thorns or scorpions or wolves or as uh, wheat amidst tares. We find ourselves surrounded by enemies. And yet, in reality, we are surrounded by the forces of God. And He has sent them to protect us. At At those times, we know that we serve a God who has not changed. He's still our God, and He is bigger than any problem that we'll ever face, isn't He? Isn't that good news? The last one we'll look at is sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by the Lord Himself. You, you don't have to turn here. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Psalm 125. Verses 1 and 2 say, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people, from henceforth even forever. It's one thing to be surrounded by the, 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 the armies of God, the, the, the chariots and the horses of fire. But this says it's as though God Himself surrounds us when we find ourselves in trouble. And it's referred to people who trust in God are said here to be as solid as the mountain that Jerusalem is built on. Mountains we think of as being very solid, don't we? That mountain's been there a long time. And nothing has changed it up to this point. A mountain is, we think of it as being solid. We think of it as being stable, steady. We think of it as offering protection, just as it has done uh, for the city of Jerusalem all those years. And that's what he's talking about here. And just like the the mountains that uh, surround Jerusalem have offered them protection for all those generations, the Lord offers us protection from our enemies. And then he tells us, he surrounds us, those last first uh, words I read, from henceforth even forever. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you a whole lot better than any mountain that you could hide behind. And I'm going to do it from now on. It's not going to change. That's a promise that you can hang your hat on, isn't it? As a, as a child of God, we may find ourselves sometimes in an environment, like I said, among these, these violent things that aren't pleasant, among lions and among wolves and, and, and uh, uh, 
thorns, scorpions, all of that. But God says, it doesn't matter. I'm, still, I'm surrounding you and I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to do it from henceforth even forever. So even though we find ourselves in all these environments, sometimes they're, they're very difficult environments. Sometimes they can be harmful environments. Our God is still with us, isn't it? And we, in these environments we find ourselves in, the Scripture is very clear. It gives us These are graphic terms, aren't they? That He, that he tells us we'll find ourselves in these, these places from time to time in our lives, even while we're trying to serve Him, even while we're trying to do the things that the Lord asks us to do. And we might even come back with a scar or two in the process. Remember when the Apostle Paul talked about how many times he'd been beaten? Can you imagine the scars he had from that? And yet he still served the Lord because he recognized that his God was still his God, that his God was bigger than any problem that he would ever face, and his God would surround him, as the psalmist said, from henceforth even forever. And so God is still with us. So as we face these different environments that, that Scripture says we'll be in from time to time, it's, it's a good idea if rather than focusing on the environment we're in, that we focus on the God we serve, because He's the one that delivers us from these dangerous environments. He protects us. And he still lets us do the work that he sent us to do. Remember the, the 70 people that he sent out, the disciples he sent out in pairs? He said, you're going among wolves. But they came back very successful. They came back having carried his word to those 35 cities, or they may have gone to more. They may, could have gone to more than one city at a, uh, from each pair. So they came back with success stories. We were able to carry your word. We were able to share it. We were able to do what you sent us to do. And so we can do the very same thing. John chapter 9, verse 4, uh, gives us a reminder. It says, I must work the needs of him that sent me while it is day. This is Jesus talking. Uh, the night cometh when no man can work. Well, that's the same for us. We have to do the works. We have to do the things that God sent us to do now because there's a time coming when we won't be able to. There's a time coming, uh, according to Scripture, when we'll be taken away from this world. We won't be here anymore. And so we have a limited amount of time to do the things that the Lord sent us to do. And it might, be, might seem like some very dangerous environments sometimes. But it's where He sent us. And so we can, we can know that we have His protection. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much again for allowing us to look into Your Word. Uh, we've seen some very graphic examples of environments that we can find ourselves in uh, from time to time uh, that, that may seem dangerous to us. And yet we know we serve a big God, a God who is far bigger than any problem we have. And we know, Father, that you've obligated yourself to take care of your people. And we thank you that, uh, Lord, you have adopted us into your family and that we know that we have that protection from you. We pray, Lord, that as you show us what you'd have us do, uh, the different tasks that you have for each one of us, that we might face them, uh, Father, in spite of the, the environment that we might find ourselves in. And then we pray that you might grant us success and that it might be success for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, not for our own glory. We pray now, Father, that as we go into the 11 o'clock service, you'd be with us. We pray that you would bless the singing. We pray that you would bless our prayer time. Uh, the Word of God as it's presented. We pray that uh, everything that is said and done here in this place today would glorify you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.